This is from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31, and it's on page 1089 in the Church Bibles. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thank you so much, May. Good evening. My name's Callum, part of the church family as well. Do um, keep the Bible open in front of you, or if you don't have it open, now's a great chance to open it. It's on page 1089, and what I'm going to say is not really going to make sense if you don't have the passage in front of you. We've been journeying through John's Gospel for quite some time. We took a break to have our series on identity, but we're coming close to the end now of John's Gospel, and I'm so excited. This is a famous passage. Even if you don't know much about the Bible, you might have heard of the expression of doubting Thomas. And here he is in Scripture. But we're going to explore that. And the theme, in a way, of this whole passage is the theme of belief. I think it's the most said word, other than Jesus, in verses 19 through 31. It's in um, verse 27, verse 29, verse 31. Belief. Belief in Jesus. And I want to tell you a story to begin, because we often think, and we might even look at Thomas and say, well, he got to see Jesus with the, the scars and from his crucifixion and say, if God would do something like that for me, I would believe too. But I don't have such a luxury. But here we have the resurrected Jesus. He has died on the cross, he says, for our sins, taking the punishment we deserve. And he's defeated death, and he says, I'm here. And he also says he's here tonight. 
and you can meet with him tonight, and you can believe in him tonight. So this is an extremely important message. Not a great messenger, but a really important message. So be ready to meet with God tonight. But first, the story on the theme of belief. There was a, a, a young man or a boy. He was 15. And he uh, grew up going to church. He would have said he was a Christian from a very early age because, of course, he's a Christian. He goes to church. His whole family are Christians. Of course, he believes in God. But he didn't have any life-changing relationship with God. Now, this boy was very uh, stubborn, uh, would be a very uh, a characteristic his parents would use to describe him quite a bit, or like a mule, headstrong, things of that nature. He did not like to do things outside of his comfort zone. If it was sports or things like that, yes. If it was dancing or talking to girls, no. And he was fairly clever, but not super clever. Now, one night, this boy, uh, when he was 15, woke up in the middle of the night, and there was a voice outside of himself saying his name. He woke up, assumed he was dreaming, and said, yes, and said, I want you to go to Romania. And the boy said, no, and went back to sleep. Now, the boy couldn't explain it, but for some reason he knew this voice was the voice of God. But he assumed it was a dream. Now, fast forward to the next night, and the same thing happens. He wakes up, his name is being said over and over, and he sits up and this time goes, I'm pretty sure I'm not dreaming. He says, yes. I want you to go to Romania. No. <laughs> this boy, this was, this was the most outside of the comfort zone kind of thing you could possibly imagine. This boy did not even have a passport and definitely did not want to do something like this. Very stubborn, I mentioned. Doesn't like doing things outside of comfort zone. So he dug in his heels. The next night, the same thing happened. I want you to go to Romania. No, back to sleep. And it kept happening again and again each night. And eventually this boy was starting to get a bit panicked. It's like, God is not giving up. I've won every stubbornness battle so far in life. But this one's starting to scare me. The boy started paying attention at church, reading the Bible a little more carefully, starting to investigate more about this God, this Jesus who says anyone who would come after me must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. I went, oh boy, I don't like that. And so finally, after about a month of this, here it came again, his name being said at night, immediately sat up and yelled, shut up! And it was silent. The boy went, whew. One again, that was close, went to sleep. Next morning, woke up and realized, I'm actually a little scared of the idea of God shutting up in my life. Maybe I shouldn't have been so quick on that. And so decided, in a remarkable moment of surrender, to give God a go. 
Now, that boy was me. That's actually my story of how I eventually came to faith. I went to Romania the next year, terrified. I had to have a guardian because I was only 16. And the great struggle for me, I believed in God, and you would say, well, if I had some sort of experience like God speaking to me, then I would believe. And do you see the problem in my story is, I believed I did not want to follow. I believed God existed. I could check that mark on the box, but I did not want a relationship with Jesus, especially one that was going to be uncomfortable one where he's my Lord and my God. And I share that story at the beginning because I don't want it to be about me, actually. I want it to be about what we see here in Scripture. But my own story, I feel, is a good example. Uh, we see throughout Scripture, people can see great signs and wonders. God can do things like part a sea, Rescue people from slavery, all kinds of things, and people still, their hearts are not changed. It takes something far more, and God wants something far more from us than just intellectual assent. Yes, I believe in God. This passage is all about belief, and there's four things I want to point out in this passage. What is belief in Jesus? What does it do? What is it like? Well, there's four things here in Scripture I want to point out that it shows about belief in Jesus. So buckle up, look in. The first is that belief in Jesus changes fear to joy. Fear to joy. Look with me at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, that's Easter, the first Easter Sunday, Mary has come and said, Jesus has risen. But the disciples, verse 19, were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Try and picture it. Jesus, who they've been following for three years, they believe he's the Messiah. He's had a false trial taken by the most powerful groups in the city, the Romans and the Jewish authorities, mocked, beaten, tortured, killed. I might be afraid too if I was one of his closest followers. And with Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, the disciples don't look that great, if we're honest. They scatter. Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Judas, one of their closest friends, is the one who betrayed Jesus and has killed himself. So here they are, gathered together, lock the door. And Jesus just appears. <laughs> Just says that casually. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, Jesus might be saying peace be with you because if Jesus suddenly appeared in a locked room, you might be kind of jumping and like a bit scared. Jesus might be saying peace be with you as well because they all realize in Jesus's greatest moment of need, we epically failed him and he's back. But there's also a wonderful thing here. Jesus' first words to his disciples, he has returned. His resurrection proves that what he did on the cross was he won our forgiveness. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. There could be nothing more important in the universe than this fact. We can have life. 
He has won peace with God through the cross. So the first thing he says to his disciples, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Do you see that? Locked themselves in a room unafraid to joy when they see Jesus. Ultimately, putting a belief in Jesus is not just an intellectual exercise. It is knowing and following and putting your trust in the risen Jesus. And I think for many of us, if you are a Christian, but you can feel like the joy has gone and it's been replaced with fear or just tiredness or sorrow or many things. And there's an encouragement here to look to Jesus. We can so often make a list of things we need to do as Christians to restore that belief, to restore that faith. But ultimately, it's not about what we have do for God, but what he has done for us at the cross and the resurrection. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face, the hymn says. And the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Maybe you don't know Jesus, but you're intrigued. And I can testify, even while going through the hardest time of my life the last couple of years, he does bring joy, even in the midst of all that life throws at you. Fear to joy. But it goes on. Not just fear to joy. Hiding to scent. Hiding to scent. It goes on, verse 21. Jesus said, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, a few things here. First, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And some of you Bible scholars will be going, but wait a minute. They don't receive the Holy Spirit until Acts 2. And some of you were not thinking that, but just enjoyed my little motion there. I think here Jesus is giving a foreshadowing of what's going to happen later. Jesus has said all throughout John's gospel, he has come, he is revealing God to us. He has come to die on the cross for us, to forgive us for our sins. Otherwise, we are lost in our sin. And that he is eventually going to leave the disciples, and the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity of God, is going to come. And so I think Jesus here is kind of foreshadowing Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers, when they receive the Spirit. If you want to debate that, we can. We can have small groups afterwards, but I'm going to move on from there. And he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. You go, hold up. What Jesus is not saying is, okay, I've died on the cross so that if you put your trust in me, if you turn from your sin, you recognize I am lost in my sin and I need to turn towards Jesus, throw myself at Jesus. He is the only way I could possibly be forgiven, have a restored relationship with God. If you believe that, that Jesus died on the cross for you, which he did, if you put your trust in that and not yourself, then you are forgiven. You have a relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. 
It's astonishing, but it's true. What he's not saying is, even though I've forgiven people through the cross and they put my tr- their trust in me, if you guys say, no, they're not forgiven, okay, then they're not forgiven. He's not giving the disciples some super authority over what Jesus has done through the cross and the resurrection. No, he's sending them out. He's sending them out to share. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus is alive. And so he is saying, you can know, if a person has put their trust in what Jesus did, they've turned from their sins and put their trust in Jesus, then you can know, you can say, they are forgiven. And if they haven't done that, you can say, they're not forgiven. The power is not in the disciples. It's not some sort of kind of arrogant, they have all the authority and can just choose, yeah, yeah, I like that person, they're forgiven. No, don't like that person, they're not. No. They are being sent to proclaim the good news, this message. They go from locked doors to Jesus, peace be with you, I'm sending you out. I mean, this is, this is so exciting, because if you think about it, if this group of disciples here hadn't then gone on to share Jesus is alive, we wouldn't be here. We'd still be lost in our sin. There would be no above bar church. We wouldn't have this. The eyewitness account of Jesus' life from John, who was in the room. Putting your trust, your belief in Jesus is not just an intellectual exercise. He sends you out. And in a way, how could you not go out? with such news that you can have peace with God but the death and destruction and decay we see in this world and in our hearts is not the final story we live in a resurrection world go from hiding to sent and just to quickly say as well you are not sent alone Jesus has received the Holy Spirit. Oh, sorry. He says, as the Father has sent me, verse 21, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the Father has sent Jesus, and Jesus is sending us. And the Spirit that Jesus promises will be with us. Jesus has not kind of stopped his mission and then gone kind of, Peace out. See you later. No, he gives us the Holy Spirit. If Sorry, this is a young person's reference, but if this was a role-player game, an RPG, as a Christian being sent out, you have all the armor and weaponry you could possibly have. This is like max level. This is not where you don't have anything and you're desperately looking for some side character to give you something. You have all that you need as you're sent out into the world to share the message of Jesus. Because it's not about your strength. It's about the strength of your God. It's actually about you being weak and him being strong. Think about it, these disciples. How in the world did Christianity spread and spread so fast? We've got a group of average Joes, not just Joes, sorry Joe, and and Callums and, and Peters and Thomases, fishermen, tax collector, hiding one moment, scared, their leader killed, 
and in amazing speed, a message that Jesus is alive, that you can have forgiveness and relationship with God has spread like wildfire through the Roman world. It's actually one of the best questions to ask. If you're thinking about, did this really happen? How do you answer that question? It's not the only question, but it's a big one. And why did these men, if it was a lie, not eventually break down in the face of persecution, as almost all of them died quite horrible deaths because they said, Jesus is alive. Belief in Jesus changes fear to joy. You go from hiding to being sent. It also changes doubt to worship. Now on to maybe the more famous Thomas. Verse 24, Thomas, also known as Didymus, great to say, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So Thomas is skeptical, yeah? Doubting Thomas. Now, it's worth stopping and saying, yes, you've heard that's right. Jesus still has his crucifixion scars, even though he's resurrected. Now, it's really important to say, it's not that Jesus somehow managed to survive crucifixion and he's looking like some sort of zombie kind of, you know, uh, I don't think that would inspire a worldwide faith. Jesus is alive. Death has been defeated. This is spreading all over the world in record time. And also, you don't survive crucifixion. We know that from history. It doesn't happen. Romans are killers. No, but he is resurrected. He has a new body in a sense, but he still has the scars. He still has the scars to this day. When Jesus returns one day, we will see those scars. And that's just an incredible fact. We can easily pass over that, but the God who created the universe chooses to have the scars. He chose to go to the cross for our rescue to show us the depths of his love for us, that he would rescue us in our sin and our lostness. And he chooses to keep those scars, I think because it's an eternal reminder of just how much he loves us. That's my God. That's the God you see in Jesus. Thomas says, I need to see. I need to touch if I'm to be certain. Now, a lot of times when Thomas is discussed, we, he gets a lot of flack, okay? Um, and we, we make it a lot about Thomas. Why wasn't Thomas there originally with the other disciples on that first Easter Sunday? And we can maybe, oh, maybe he was, you know, had, had lost faith and had, had kind of parted ways. Or maybe, you can make lots of ideas. The problem with all these ideas about Thomas is if Scripture doesn't say it. And so we're just kind of making up ideas. And number two on Callum's top studying the Bible tips which will never be um, probably a book, uh, would be don't add in things that Scripture hasn't said. If Scripture wanted it said, I think God would have made sure it was in Scripture. It doesn't even say if Thomas actually touches the wounds when Jesus appears. But we do see a remarkable symmetry between 
uh, the first account where Jesus appears to the disciples and when he appears to Thomas. Do you notice? They're gathered. Jesus appears suddenly into a locked room. Jesus says, peace be with you, both times. He then addresses, the first time, it's the disciples as a whole, this time specifically Thomas. There's a response to Jesus, and then Jesus gives some sort of teaching. The first time it's sending out, the second time it's verse 29, we're about to come to that. There's a remarkable symmetry here. But he's focusing on Thomas this time. And to be honest, Thomas isn't really doing or saying anything that seems that different from the other disciples. The other disciples, despite Peter and John, we heard last week, running to the empty tomb, and it says even that John believed when he saw the empty tomb, Mary encounters Jesus, the first person to encounter the risen Jesus, and she comes running back to tell them, I've seen the Lord, but they're still hiding, they're still scared. There doesn't seem to be great belief yet amongst them. And it's when they see the risen Jesus that their fear turns to joy. So I think we're being a little hard on Thomas if we go, oh, Thomas, he was being really bad. I mean, he's just an example of what not to be, Thomas. Now, the original disciples encountered the risen Jesus. And so they could share on this testimony. He's alive. We've seen him. John would go on to say in one of his letters, what we've touched, who we've heard, who we've seen this is based on evidence. But what I think this passage really is about, and this would normally, this is in Callum's top Bible study tips number one, is don't make a passage about you. Scripture is ultimately about God. And God the Father wants us to, to glorify and worship his son. So normally we should read Scripture in light of what does this tell me about God and where do I see Jesus in this and the gospel. And then what does that mean for me? But this time, I really do think, actually, John wrote this specifically for us. In fact, if you're a believer in Jesus, or if you ever put your trust in Jesus, you're in this passage. Because we see when Jesus appears, and he specifically says Thomas, his name, just like he said Mary's name last time. Put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. He knows Thomas's objection. He knows Thomas's thoughts. He knows Thomas's name. Whether Thomas actually did touch or not, we don't know. Again, it doesn't say. But Thomas's response to the risen Jesus is to say, my Lord and my God, from doubt to worship, my Lord, I'm not the Lord of my, and Savior of my life, but Jesus is, and he's my God. Putting your belief, your trust in Jesus is not just an intellectual exercise. It's not ticking a box. It's to whether you physically do it or in your heart do it, but it's dropping down on your knees and saying, my Lord and my God, I'm not the center of this universe, you are. Doubt turns to worship. And then Jesus tells him, verse 29, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Hey, that includes me. I haven't seen the risen Jesus, but I've come to believe. I think for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't in the room originally with the other disciples. Whatever reasons there were, we don't know. I think it was certainly in God's plan that he would not be there. 
so we could have this lovely interaction where Jesus tells us this. Thomas saw and believed. Blessed are those who haven't seen Jesus and yet have believed. Isn't that kind of exciting? You can look a little excited. I'm excited about it. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. Now, what ta- not, Jesus is not saying is, blessed are those who have absolutely no evidence for what they believe, but they believe. Blessed are those who have completely blind faith. No. He goes on to say, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are recorded in this, not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. In other words, he's giving you evidence, eyewitness account of what Jesus did in his life, that you can read it and weigh it up for yourself. And there's lots of other things. We could, I, I could talk about this till the cows come home, but I'm not going to do that. That's a Virginia expression, cows come home. Um of why our faith is not blind. The primary thing is because in any relationship, which is ultimately the the belief God is inviting you into in Jesus, there are times where you do not know where you have to trust. But in any relationship, you have lots of reasons why you would trust, why you would step forward. It's not blind. You know their character. You can look at the evidence. You can look to the past. You might be thinking, well, okay, I, I would need the same evidence that Thomas got if I was to believe. I need to actually see the risen physical Jesus if I was going to believe. And I would just like to challenge that briefly. Just imagine with me for a second. Imagine I come um, from a faraway land. So far, this is not difficult. And the land I come from there, it's, 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 it's very poor, and there's, there's no electricity. Some of you are still thinking that's not hard to imagine, in which case, how dare you? Um, let's call this country Calamania, shall we? In Calamania, there's no electricity, but I come to visit you here, and I come to your flat. And you tell me, oh, uh, flip that uh, switch over there, and the light will come on. And I go, no, it won't. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And you say, oh, yeah, 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 there's this, um, there's this uh, thing called electricity. Uh, it, it comes in, and when you flip the switch, it like, turns it on, and it, it makes light. And I go, well, how do you know that? Um, have you ever seen electricity? And you go, well, I mean, no, not technically. And then you say, where's the electricity come from? Well, it comes from, a, a, like, a power station, it's called, and it's, like, connected to the building, um, and it... And it and it does it. So, have you ever seen the power station? It's like, well, no, I haven't personally been to the power station. So, well, how do you know this? And you say, well, when I first moved in, there was a guy here, and he said, look, I'm from the power station. We're connecting it to this building. Um, the electricity flows into the building. You flip this switch, and it'll turn on the lights, okay? And I did it, and it worked. So, I believe it. And you say, well, no, no. I need to see that same man. I need to see the man from the power station and tour the power station and see the electricity and it flows before I could possibly believe. Or you could say, well, why don't you just go to your own room, flip the switch and see if it works. You notice in verse 30, John specifically says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Jesus performs many signs in John's gospel. John specifically uses the word signs. 
because he wants you to know that Jesus' miracles are not just great feats in and of themselves. They point to something deeper. He could have used other words that meant amazing acts or things like that, but he specifically uses a word, and in English is signs. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And yes, he could make bread for a crowd, uh, expand so a crowd could be fed. But he's also saying there's a spiritual hunger inside of you that cannot be filled by anything but me. That's something you can test. That's a sign you can test. Jesus says, I can bring you peace with God, forgiveness. And when you put your trust in me, my spirit comes to live inside of you. That is something you can test. But I would say you don't need to see the risen Jesus. But we do have his word. We do have his spirit. And he loves to speak through his word. Maybe he's speaking to you right now by his spirit through his word. You can believe for yourself that you are forgiven, that you have life in his name. And the final one, just quickly, is death to life. I've already mentioned the sign. The resurrection is the ultimate sign of Jesus, the cross and the resurrection. And again, we sometimes think of belief or faith. Oh, can I believe? Again, as a kind of, ah, take it or leave it. Yes, I believe. It doesn't very much impact my life. There's a quote that I love, and it says, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Jesus did not come just to make bad people good, live a better life, go to church, that's nice. He came to make dead people live. Jesus' message is that we are actually dead in our sins. And he's come to bring us to life. Life in him. Do you see that in verse 31? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the rescuer, and he's the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There couldn't be higher stakes than that. Jesus came to make dead people live. And that's the invitation to you. That's the invitation to you tonight. Try flipping the switch. Test him and see. Is he the Messiah, the Son of God? Does he bring life? Can you trust him? I would say the resounding answer is yes. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you're not one, the invitation is there. Belief in Jesus is not just an intellectual exercise. It is something that changes us, that sends us out into the world. It's something that should bring out our worship in all of life because we've been brought life where there was only death. And just to say as well, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you feel like, I do believe, but I'm not feeling it, I just encourage you, I'd love to chat with you afterwards. But that reminder that it is not what we do ultimately for God. It's not a list of things to experience God more, but it's recognizing the risen Jesus, what he has done for us, being still and worshiping him. Let me just pray for us.
Father, I thank you so much that Jesus came to give life and life in the full. And I pray for anyone here who has questions about that, who, who wants to know, do you really give life? That they would test you, that they would read your word for themselves, not just take it even on my account, but look for themselves, and that they would meet you in your word. Jesus, thank you so much. You are our Lord and our God, and you're worthy of all of our praise. You have brought us out of darkness into light. Help us to worship you. Help us to, be, to, to see the wonder of your cross and your resurrection again. Jesus, you are the God of the scars. Turn our doubt to worship. Turn our fear to joy. Send us out with life-giving news. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you would like to explore Jesus for yourself, do ask afterwards for a Bible or a gospel. That is the greatest way to explore Jesus for yourself.